The first lesson, which will also be the text for the sermon, is from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 9, verses 1 to 11. Then the Lord called out with a loud voice in my hearing, Bring the supervisors of the city here, each one of them with his weapon of destruction in his hand. Then I noticed six men coming from the direction of the upper gate that faces north, each with his weapon, a war club, in his hand. There was also one man in the middle, dressed in linen, with a scribe's kit at his waist. They entered and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel ascended from above the cherub, over whom it had been standing, and moved to the threshold of the temple building. He called out to the man who was dressed in linen, who had the scribe's kit at his waist. The Lord said to him, Go through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a cross mark on the foreheads of those who mourn and lament over the abominations being committed in her. To the others he said in my hearing, Follow him through the city and strike the people down. Do not let your eyes show pity and do not have compassion. Old men and young men, virgins, little children and women, you are to keep killing until you wipe them out completely. But do not go near anyone who has been marked with the cross. You are to begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the old men who were in front of the temple. Then he said to them, Defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go. So they went and struck them down throughout the city. While they were striking them down, I was left alone, and I fell face down and cried out, O Lord God, are you going to destroy everyone who is left in Israel as you pour out your wrath upon Jerusalem? He said to me, The guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great. The land is filled with bloodshed and the city is full of injustice because they say, the Lord has forsaken the land and the Lord does not see. But I am determined that my eye will show no pity and I will have no compassion. I will bring down their conduct on their own heads. Just then, I saw the man dressed in linen who had the scribe's kit at his waist. He was reporting, I have done just as you commanded me. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. There was a day of judgment coming to the people in Judah. And when that judgment came, if you just looked at it with the naked eye, you would say, this is the judgment of the Babylonians. If you looked at it, you would see the Babylonian army doing all this hacking and butchering in Judah. But actually, it was judgment from the Lord. Judgment was coming to the people of Judah from the Lord because they refused to repent. They refused to turn away from their wicked lifestyles, their worship of false gods, and to turn to the Lord in faith for the forgiveness of their sins. So the Lord's judgment was coming. And in a vision, Ezekiel sees it coming. Then the Lord called out with a loud voice in my hearing, Bring the supervisors of the city here, each one of them with his weapon of destruction in his hand. Then I noticed six men coming from the direction of the upper gate that faces north, each with his weapon, a war club, in his hand. So north is the direction from which invading armies always enter Judah. And from the north, the Lord calls these six supervisors or maybe generals or warriors 
The exact definition of the word isn't clear, but the more important thing is what they are coming to do. They have war clubs in their hands. They are coming to destroy, to carry out judgment, but it's not their own judgment. It's judgment from the Lord, and when it comes, it's going to be ugly. To the warriors, he said in my hearing, follow through the city and strike the people down. Do not let your eyes show pity and do not have compassion. Old men and young men, virgins, little children and women, you are to keep killing until you wipe them out completely. So anyone who refused to listen to the Lord and repent, no exceptions, the Lord's judgment was coming for them. However, the Lord's judgment in Judah was not going to start in the streets. It was not going to start with the common people. To those six warriors with the clubs in their hands, the Lord said, you are to begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the old men who were in front of the temple. Then he said to them, defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain, go. So the Lord's judgment was actually going to begin at the sanctuary of his own temple with the religious leaders, the priests and the elders. And why would his judgment start there? Well, because of all the people in Judah, the religious leaders, the priests and the elders, they were the ones who should have known better. And they were the ones who had the responsibility. It was their job to sound the spiritual alarm and warn the people in Judah, time is running out. You need to turn away from your evil, your worship of false gods, and turn back in faith to the Lord. But instead of doing that, instead of doing their job, the religious leaders in Judah just told the people what they wanted to hear. And Ezekiel sees the results. The guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great. The land is filled with bloodshed, and the city is full of injustice because they, the religious leaders, say, the Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. So instead of calling the people of Judah back to the Lord in repentance, these religious leaders were telling them, the Lord is gone. He's left us. He's not watching us anymore. And if the Lord is gone and he's not watching anymore, then what does that mean for you? Well, you get to make your own rules. You can live however you want. You can believe whatever you want because the Lord is gone and he's not watching. So the Lord's judgment was coming for all the people in Judah who did not believe in him. And it was coming without exception. And it was going to be ugly for them all, but it was going to start with those religious leaders who were just scratching the itching ears of the people and telling them what they wanted to hear. Do what you want, believe what you want, because God is gone and he's not watching. Now, Scripture tells us that a day of judgment is coming again when our Lord Jesus returns to this earth on the last day. And just like in Judah, it is going to be ugly for everyone who refuses to repent and just like in Judah, the Lord is not going to make any exceptions. But also, just like in Judah, when our Savior Jesus comes back, his judgment is going to start at his sanctuary. His judgment is going to start at the temple with religious leaders who lied to the people, who told them what they wanted to hear. Now, I was thinking about 
reading to you some examples of leaders in the Christian church today who are telling people what they want to hear, that they can believe whatever they want and do whatever they want. I have decided against that for a couple of reasons. First of all, there is so much of it that I wouldn't even know where to start or what to pick. And secondly, even in the context of condemning it, I don't really want to give a platform to it from this pulpit. But suffice it to say, it is everywhere. Leaders inside the Christian church, people who wear robes and stoles and crosses around their necks, just like this, telling people, in essence, the Lord is gone, he's not watching anymore, so now you can make your own rules. You can do whatever you want. Now, why? Why would religious leaders do this? Why would they scratch itching ears like that and tell people what they want to hear? Maybe they want to be popular. They want to maintain their following. And if that is the case, it has backfired spectacularly because, you see, once you tell people they can make their own rules and believe whatever they want, they don't have to listen to you at all anymore, and you're out of a job. So if that was the idea, it didn't work. Or maybe they actually do believe that God is gone, and he's not watching anymore if he ever existed at all. But whatever the reasons for it, God's judgment comes first and hardest for religious leaders who lie to his people. Jesus says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Christian leaders are given the greatest trust and treasure that there is to proclaim faithfully the word of God, his commandments, his moral law, which does not change, and the good news of our Savior Jesus that calls people to repentance and faith in the Lord. Christian leaders who choose to betray that and simply tell people what they want to hear are going down first and hardest. So then, it's a good thing for you that you don't have to worry about that, right? Because you're not a religious leader and maybe not so much, time of, so much of your time should be spent on this and maybe I should spend more time applying it to myself than applying it to you. And that's all fair enough. But this does have something to do with you. This does apply to your life because you do have to decide who you're going to listen to. Don't listen to any religious leader, even if they have a cross around their neck, who just wants to scratch the itching ears of your sinful nature and tell you that you get to make your own rules and believe whatever you want. Only listen to the pure word of God his moral law, his unchanging commandments, and the good news of Jesus Christ that calls you to faith, and those leaders who speak it faithfully. Because in Judah, the judgment started with those lying leaders, but it did finally continue into the streets to the people who listened to them, and it will again. Now when Ezekiel looked and he saw just the sheer number of people who were going down in the judgment, he was terrified. While he was striking them down, I was left alone, and I fell face down and cried out, O Lord God, are you going to destroy everyone who is left in Israel as you pour out your wrath upon Jerusalem? And the answer to that question was no. Because even as Ezekiel saw those six supervisors or warriors coming into Jerusalem to carry out the Lord's judgment, there was also one man in the middle dressed in linen with a scribe's kit at his waist. So this one man in the middle is ready to write 
He's ready to do some marking. And before those six warriors descend with judgment, starting at the temple, then continuing into the streets, this one man goes through the whole city and he does some marking, some writing. The Lord said to him, go through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a cross mark on the foreheads of those who moan and lament over the abominations being committed in her. Now the cross mark that this scribe writes on the foreheads of believers is the Hebrew letter Tav. Of course you did not come here this morning for a lesson in Hebrew, but it really is important to understand what is happening in this vision. Now, like most languages, the handwriting of Hebrew letters evolves. It changes over time. And if you look on the cover of your bulletin, you'll see what this letter Tav looks like today. That's the top letter on the cover of your bulletin. The Hebrew letter Tav today looks not remotely like a T or a cross. But in Paleo-Hebrew, which is the Hebrew that was used when Ezekiel had this vision, that letter, the Tav, looks just like a T or a cross. Very interesting, isn't it? And a little too much of a coincidence to be a coincidence. Now, in my Bible, there's a footnote. It's not part of the actual Bible text, but it's just an editor's footnote that says this. The significance of the similarity between the letter Tav and the cross was not apparent, however, at this point, 500 years before Calvary. Well, maybe not. <laughs> but believers in the Lord have always been marked by the cross. And of course, at the time of this vision, 500 years before the cross of Christ, believers, of course, they did not know all the details of what the Messiah was going to do to save them, but they knew more than enough. They knew, for example, there was a Messiah coming who was going to be the perfect prophet, the Messiah who would speak the word of God to them purely. They knew that from Moses, and Moses lived 900 years before Ezekiel. They also knew that this perfect prophet was going to be the Lamb of God who would take the sins of all the people on himself and suffer intensely in their place to take their sins away. They knew that already from Isaiah. He wrote 200 years before Ezekiel. They also knew that this Messiah would rise after he suffered and died for sins because there was a psalm that said the Lord would not let his Holy One, his Messiah, see decay. That psalm was written 400 years before Ezekiel. They knew all of that about their saving Messiah, and they knew a whole lot more than that besides, and there were some who believed it. They believed, not only is the Lord still here, not only has he not left us, and not only is the Lord still looking at us, not only does he still care about us, he is loving us. He is planning our salvation and he is going to send it in the Messiah. And of course, in the end, the Lord did. And looking back on it, as we can, 2,000 years after Calvary, we know exactly why those believers in Judah were marked with a cross. Because when that Messiah came, he died on the cross to take away the sins of the whole world. And every believer, whether they live 500 years before Calvary or 2,000 years after Calvary, like us, every believer is marked with that saving cross of Jesus Christ. When you were baptized, 
the pastor or the priest or whoever baptized you made the sign of the cross over your head and your heart. And he did that because a few moments earlier, when there was water poured over your head and you were baptized in the name of the triune God, you were baptized into the saving cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. And at that moment, when you came to faith, you were marked with the cross. And to this day, the Holy Spirit continues to work on your heart, Jesus' love, and he marks you with that cross again and again. So this is one of the beautiful things about how God writes that cross on his people. He writes it on you once when you come to faith. And then every time in your heart that you go back to your baptism, every time you hear Jesus' love for you in the word, every time you come to his supper, the Holy Spirit draws that cross on you again. It reminds me of a kid I went to kindergarten with who was never really satisfied with the boldness of his artwork. I will never forget this kid because he'd pick up a Crayola marker and he'd draw something, you know, a house, dog, whatever, and then he'd set it down for a minute and then he'd look at it and he just wasn't happy with it. So he'd pick up the marker and he'd trace over it again and again and again and again, bolder and bolder every time. And this is what the Holy Spirit does with Jesus' love. Every time we are in the love of Christ, he draws the cross on us bolder and stronger every time. So the day of judgment is coming, but when it does, you are going to stand in that judgment and you are going to live because you are marked with the saving cross of Jesus Christ. When Ezekiel saw all of the people going down in the judgment, it horrified him. But this is the very last word of his vision. Just then, I saw the man dressed in linen who had the scribe's kit at his waist. He was reporting, I have done just as you commanded me. At God's command, you have been marked with the cross of your Savior Jesus, and so when the judgment comes, you will stand, you will live through the judgment, and you will live through eternity. Until then, be very careful who you listen to. Listen only to the pure word of God, to his unchanging commandments, to that good news of Jesus' love for you, his sacrifice for your sins. Do it to keep your heart with the Lord and to keep your Savior's cross marked on you. Amen.